Welcome to Blitzcast, an NFL Draft podcast brought to you by NFLDraftBlitz.com. And now, your hosts, Alex Kavtov and Ed Hunt. Welcome to another episode of Blitzcast. Ed and Alex are back. Another podcast, another week. We've got an exciting show coming up. But in the beginning, let's talk about the, the Washington football team. They've had a tumultuous offseason with everything surrounding Daniel Snyder, all the rumors coming out that it's a, it's a hostile working environment. But they got some good news this past week. Alex Smith, the former starting quarterback who had a gruesome leg injury, we didn't think that this guy was, was going to come back and walk again. But here he is at training camp, throwing bullets. He's with his teammates. It's a great story, Ed. Yeah, it really is. And I mean, you said it, you said it best when you said we didn't even know if he was going to walk again. I mean, he injured himself in two places. It was an absolutely disgusting and gruesome injury and you felt you had to feel bad for the guy, but I mean, it's great that not only is he is he walking and moving and exercising, but now he's he's going to play NFL football again. And I, I if if I'm the Washington Redskins, I I wouldn't mind I wouldn't mind rolling him out there for for a little bit and you know seeing what you have in him in the you know in in your scrimmages and just maybe he should be the guy in uh, Washington. I mean over Dwayne Haskins. So are you campaigning for Alex Smith to be the starting quarterback over Dwayne Haskins if Alex Smith is completely one hundred percent? I I'm just not a believer in Haskins and so I think you should I think you should you know open it up and you know make make Haskins earn that starting job because it shouldn't just be given to him well like I said Alex Smith has been through his ups and downs during his career as well he was the number one overall pick back in the day we all remember that the San Francisco 49ers chose Alex Smith over Aaron Rodgers and um, it he certainly didn't go well in the Bay Area then he resurrected his career with the Kansas City Chiefs. Andy Reid made him a good quarterback, and he got his shot with Washington Redskins and became a starting quarterback there before that, that gruesome injury. So he can teach Dwayne Haskins a thing or two about overcoming adversity, and he has certainly done that. But I think you have to find out what you have in Dwayne Haskins because the Washington football team, this, this is not a very good squad. And you have to find out if Dwayne Haskins is your starting quarterback of the future. Because in next year's draft, I'm sure the Washington Redskins are going to have a top three, top five pick. And uh, they, they can use it on a quarterback. Maybe it's Trevor Lawrence. Maybe it's Justin Fields. Maybe it's Trey Lance. Right now, the odds for the Washington football team to win the Super Bowl are 250 to 1, according to Bovada Sportsbook. That's just how bad it is. And the only team that's worse, that has the worst odds than that, it's the Jacksonville Jaguars. Washington football team, I'm excited about their defensive line. I'm excited about Chase Young, the number two overall pick, because this guy's going to terrorize NFC's quarterbacks next year. And he is certainly the favorite right now as, as the defensive rookie of the year. Uh, we all remember, you know, what what he did in college, and he can certainly do the same thing with uh, with the Washington Football Team. I mean, he certainly has the right coaches on his side. We've got Ron Rivera as the head coach. 
We've got Jack Del Rio as the defensive coordinator, who I believe is one of the more underrated defensive coordinators in the game. We'll see what happens, but this Washington team is just not very good, and there's no point in inserting Alex Smith on a bad Washington team. You have to roll with the punches, and you have to see if Dwayne Haskins can deliver. I mean, Darius Geis isn't there. He has been released, the running back. Uh, Kelvin Harmon has torn his ACL. He's out for the season. There's not much to get excited about. You have Terry McLaurin, and you have an old Adrian Peterson, right? I mean, you expect the Washington Redskins probably to have a top two pick in the 2021 NFL draft. Yeah, which 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 gives you basically Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence. You know, I don't I don't like to flip flop on these podcasts, but I am going to flip flop and say and say uh, that maybe maybe I shouldn't get into politics. Um, you know, I, I'm 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 actually going to say you know what, roll with Dwayne Haskins, see what you have in him, and then you know what, if it just gets embarrassing, then go with Alex Smith and you know have him have him teach him teach Haskins the ways. I just think the NFC East is a really tough division. You've got Mike McCarthy taking over as the new head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. He's got a lot of firepower on offense with Ezekiel Elliott and Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup and CeeDee Lamb. And, and Dak Prescott is is steering that offense. I mean, trying to prove to Jerry Jones that he's worth that that big contract. With the New York Giants, you've got the new head coach from the Patriots, Joe Judge, who's bringing that mentality, that philosophy, the, the Patriot way. And you've got a lot to get excited as well. I mean, you've got Daniel Jones, a quarterback, who had a promising rookie season. Saquon Barkley, hopefully he stays healthy. He's one of the more exciting backs in the game. And the Philadelphia Eagles, they've got a healthy Carson Wentz. Um, they've got, you know, Jalen Rager, and they've got Miles Sanders at running back, so they certainly bring more speed. All three of these teams are going to be out there, so that Washington team is, is going to be in the rear. I mean, they're going to finish like 2-14, and 3-13. The Washington team, they're not very good this year. They're building for the future. Uh, we've got a fun exercise that Ed and I decided to do. We wanted to talk about top 10 triplets in the NFL in the 2020 uh, season. We want to talk about you know a quarterback, a running back, and a pass catcher. That could be either a wide receiver or a tight end. After a lot of debate over this list, you know, a lot of preparation went into this, and I tried to exclude the number 10 team from this list. Who is it in that spot? Well, I'm going to put my foot down and say uh, the the Atlanta Falcons. And, um, you know, obviously Matt Ryan, one of the better quarterbacks. You've got the best wide receiver in the league and Julio Jones and then um, you know it'd be interesting but I mean there's a possibility that Todd Gurley could help you so I, I see I see the Falcons as number 10 here at number nine we've got the Tennessee Titans and who would have thought that the Titans would be in this position but last year they went on a magical run and it was led by Ryan Tannehill I mean we, we thought this was the last of Ryan Tannehill after he left the Miami Dolphins and we thought he was going to be a backup to Marcus Mariota. Well, he took over as the starting quarterback and was one of the more efficient signal callers in the game last season. Took care of the football. He was best on those play-action passes. At running back, they have Derrick Henry. I mean, this guy's huge. Nobody wants to tackle this boy and 
the Patriots certainly found out the hard way when he was just running over the the Patriots defense and AJ Brown the the second coming of Anquan Bolden he was just you know this guy came out of nowhere he they couldn't tackle him after he was making catches whether it was in the short area or the intermediate or the deep ball he was certainly Tannehill's favorite target and I'm excited for AJ Brown prospects uh in year two at number eight who do we have there? I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with the Vikings at number eight. Um, I think Kirk Cousins is one of the more underrated quarterbacks in the NFL. Adam Thielen is is a star in this league and a small school guy and a nice story. And then Dalvin Cook is a good running back. So uh, don't sleep on those Minnesota Vikings. Well, Dalvin Cook had a terrific year after dealing with injuries the first couple of seasons, and Adam Thielen dealt with injuries last year he certainly has a lot to prove Stefan Diggs left to the Buffalo Bills now he's the main man and I have no doubt that Adam Thielen is going to return to his regular form at number seven we've got the Green Bay Packers I know I know Aaron Rodgers is is old but and he's been on a decline the last couple of years but this Packers team was pretty good last year they won a lot of games, and if there's one quarterback in the league that I would want in a playoff game in the cold, I will take Aaron Rodgers. I mean, this guy has been through some big games in the playoffs. Uh, this guy has won a Super Bowl, so Aaron Rodgers can still get it done. Uh, Devontae Adams, one of the more underappreciated wide receivers in the league, one of the better ones that not many people talk about. He's certainly one of the best route runners in the NFL. And Aaron Jones, um, there's a lot of excitement over A.J. Dillon, the rookie out of Boston College. Uh, I've heard a lot of talk about him in training camp, but uh, Aaron Jones had his best year as a pro, and he's definitely the lead back for for the Green Bay Packers. Next team, uh, number six. Who do we have there? Ed? Well, number six, and I think this offseason's winner is the Tampa Bay Bucks. They pick up, you know, all-world quarterback Tom Brady, who you know probably isn't is isn't in the prime of his career, but still still is definitely going to be able to steer the ship. And then you've got, uh, you know, you've got Chris Godwin as an honorable mention, but Mike Evans as your receiver, and then. Um, you know, you, you've got you've got some options at running back, but Ronald Jones is the guy there. I mean, Ronald Jones is is going to get the the first crack there, even though you have Lashawn McCoy and Keyshawn Vaughn. But Ronald Jones is the is the guy that the Bucks seem to be committed to. Yeah, and I, I mean, I th- I think and even you know with 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 multiple options, I think I think it's a decent three headed monster, and this is a team that's going to be able to throw the ball. They were able to add some pieces on the offensive line, so yeah, I uh, I like the uh, Bucks offense this year. I'm glad that you kind of came around. I remember a couple of months ago you were skeptical of the Tampa Bay Bucks. I mean, last week you you gushed over Shaq Barrett in our 2014 redraft. He was he was picked fifth overall, and you said that he was going to have another great year. And look, you're. Tom Brady is winning you over a little bit with the Bucks. Well, we know I have a history of picking Tom Brady, that's for sure. I know you do, but there's just there's a lot of excitement in Tampa. There really is. And Bavada, Bavada has the Tampa Bay Bucks as the 12 to 1 favorites to to win the Super Bowl. 12 to 1. I mean, who would have thought about it last year when the Bucks were losing all those close games with with Jameis Winston and certainly uh like I said, Tom Brady definitely makes all the difference 
in the world. At number five, at number five, we've got the Baltimore Ravens. And how can you not have the Ravens in the top five? Lamar Jackson won the MVP in the NFL last year. The Ravens finished with a 14-2 and record. Jackson is the most electric player in the NFL, just as far as his passing and his running ability, how he makes people look silly in the open field when he's running away from them. Marquise Hollywood Brown has has gotten stronger, and if he stays healthy, he's one of the better deep threats in, in this league. Mark Ingram is the veteran running back leading the charge here. But I'm sure J.K. Dobbins, the rookie out of Ohio State, I'm I'm sure he's going to take over that role in the second half of the season. At number four. Yeah, number four, I'm going to go with the Seattle Seahawks. And Russell Wilson might be the number two quarterback in the league. I mean, there's still some debate about, you know, who's at the top. I'm going to have Patrick Mahomes as number one. But yeah, I'm going to say, I'm going to say Russell Wilson, one of the top two or three quarterbacks in the league. And then you got Tyler Lockett, who's been his main target over the years. Chris Carson, who's a decent running back, not a big name, but, you know, gets the job done. So yeah, let's go Seahawks number four. At number three, we've got the the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys, I already mentioned, they have a new head coach in Mike McCarthy. He's bringing in an exciting offensive scheme. They're going to have three very good receivers, but Dak Prescott is the quarterback driving that ship. You still have Ezekiel Elliott, who's been one of the more consistent running backs the past three or four years. He's a three-down back. And Amari Cooper, the the number one wide receiver and uh, one of the better route runners in this league. And so the Cowboys get the, the number three spot on our top ten list. At number two, Ed... Who do we have? I'm going to go with the Kansas City Chiefs. Obviously, you got Patrick Mahomes as your quarterback, and there needs no explanation there. You got Tyreek Hill as your top receiver. You could put Travis Kelsey as your as your sort of receiver option, and then running back you got Kareem Hunt. So I I, I like the Chiefs. I mean they they're obviously the Super Bowl defending champs, and uh, they're going to have another great offensive year. And I mean this could be this could be a team that could you know have a little dynasty run. Yeah, with the weird pandemic year and uh, no, you know, OTAs and, you know, no preseason games, you definitely have to give, you know, those teams that went deep in the playoffs last year, teams that kept their core together, those are the teams that are going to go make a deep playoff run this year. And Bavada has the Kansas City Chiefs as the 6.5 to 1 favorite. To, to win the Super Bowl. It's them and the Ravens. They basically have the same same line out there when it comes to that. We picked the Chiefs to be number two. So at number one, we've got the New Orleans Saints. It's no surprise there. Drew Brees, Mr. Consistency. Uh, he's just ever since he arrived at New Orleans, uh, there's been a lot of excitement there. He brought a lot of stability to that quarterback position. Him and Sean Payton, it's just... A breath of fresh air uh, when a head coach slash offensive coordinator has complete understanding with his quarterback. They they always seem to be in sync. Um, Alvin Kamara, uh, one of the better running backs, uh, just a versatile guy. He can hit the home run or he can catch 10 or 15 passes a game. It's unbelievable. Michael Thomas, 
arguably a top two wide receiver in this league. Just the numbers that this guy has put up the last couple of years and what he did last year, the fact that he was in the conversation as kind of a, a dark horse for the MVP award says a lot. So we have the New Orleans Saints at number one, the Kansas City Chiefs at two, Dallas Cowboys come in at three, the Seattle Seahawks at four, uh, the Baltimore Ravens at five, the Tampa Bay Bucks at six, the Green Bay Packers at seven, the Minnesota Vikings at eight, the Tennessee Titans at nine, and the Falcons round out our top ten. There was one team that got left out that I was trying to push for, but Ed, you know, won over with his Falcons. It was the the Cleveland Browns. The Cleveland Browns. I felt like the combination of Baker Mayfield, Nick, Nick Chubb, and Odell Beckham, I thought they deserved to be on the cusp of of the top 10 because of everything that Kevin Stefanski is bringing there. And I just think this offense is going to be exciting to watch this year. But I know that you have a lot of doubts about Baker Mayfield. Yeah, I do. And I mean, he's he's going to be playing in a tough division. I mean, you know, the, the Bengals are going to start looking different with Joe Burrow. And obviously the Steelers are getting Roethlisberger back. And and then obviously the Ravens are probably one of the top two teams in the league right now. So yeah, I, I, th- I think things are going to be tough for Baker Mayfield. Well, we've got some good news. We've got a fantasy expert on this week, uh, Andy Buckler from Dynasty Nerds. He's a writer for Dynasty Nerds. And he's also from the Keep It a Buck podcast, um, which you can find on Spotify. We're excited to have Andy on. Thanks for having me, man. I'm excited. You know, cool. we, we all love, you know, fantasy football, Andy. We are big players. Obviously, we've been playing, I think, since uh, since high school and college days. How did you get involved with it? What's your story? Um, probably like six years ago. I would always I always liked football, obviously. So I just decided to play. My friends asked me to join the league, and I just kind of got hooked from there. And then in the last like year or so, I decided to like really take it serious and like start writing and uh, join, uh, contribute for Dynasty Nerds and do other things. So let's let's get into the kind of the the, the meat of things. Uh, who are your favorite uh, three players with good value that every fantasy football owner should come away with in their draft? Well, first off, my favorite, he's starting to get a little expensive now. Now that training camp hype is starting to really pick up. My favorite's Ronald Jones, running back for Tampa Bay. Mm-hmm. I I think he's one of the best values, especially at running back. If you can get him in the sixth round, he's kind of climbing up here to the fourth round like with the hype. But Ronald Jones, Chris Herndon, tight end for the Jets, he's free in drafts. You can get him with your last pick. DJ Chark. And I added another one. I got four. Hollywood Brown. Those are my four favorite. What do you think of uh, LaShawn McCoy being added out there? I mean, is that going to hurt Ronald Jones a little bit? I mean, he's not hes not a big-time contributor when it comes to those passing downs. And, and Tom Brady loves to throw to those backs. No, I think LaShawn McCoy was actually there, just was brought in to help Ronald Jones, just to mentor him a little bit. He might vulture some catches, but if you remember last year, LeSean McCoy was on the Chiefs with Andy Reid, and he was still a healthy scratch for the Super Bowl. So I'm not too worried about him. Uh, give us uh, give us a few players that you believe are are vastly overrated, Andy. Who is uh, who is being overdrafted in in fantasy leagues? Well, I'll start off with someone who's been overdrafted for three years, but he just has name value. That's Odell. I think Odell is extremely overrated especially when you can get Jarvis Landry like four or five rounds later. 
I wouldn't touch Odell at his price right now in the third round. Joe Mixon, I think, is really really overrated. He goes, he's like a first round pick, top ten running back. I think that's too expensive. And then two more would be Kareem Hunt and Amari Cooper. Uh, I mean, obviously, we spoke off the air. You're a, you're a big Giants fan. Are you still a little bit bitter that OBJ left? Is that why you're saying that he's overrated? <laughs> no, I don't think Odell's overrated as an actual player, but as a fantasy asset, he's extremely overrated. I still – I kind of got over it as a Giants fan. It hurt for a while, but I'm over it now. Are you like – I mean, you're, you're picking on the Cleveland Browns. That's like my favorite team right now this year. I have, you know, big uh, hopes for them that Stefanski can finally bring the best out of, you know, Kareem Hunt and Baker Mayfield and OBJ. I mean, I saw that Nick Chubb went down with the concussion during training camp. Don't you think, you know, Kareem Hunt is one of the best values out there? No, because he's going in the fifth round right now. And that's the hand. He's a handcuff. He's going to have some standalone value. He'll catch some passes, but. You're drafting him in the fifth round, hoping Nick Chubb goes down and then he's a top five running back. But if he doesn't, you basically just drafted like Tariq Cohen in the fifth round. I think he's just too expensive. I can't do that. All right. Fair enough. What do you think of the philosophy of prioritizing running backs in the draft? I mean, it seems like that's kind of how things have been going the last couple of years as far as fantasy advice. What do you think of that? I think it's I really think it's the, probably the best strategy, especially this year because there's so many wide receivers. I don't really, in a normal standard league, 12-team league, one quarterback, I don't probably don't want to touch a wide receiver until round four. I want running backs in the first three rounds because there's not many running backs, not many bell cow running backs. So if you could lock those up, they really, like, they're a difference maker. They help you win, opposed to so many, there's so many wide receivers this year that you can get in the sixth, fifth round, like, like Allen Robinson in the fourth round. He could be a wide receiver one for you if you get three straight running backs in the first three. You're not worried about those Bears quarterbacks? I'm just jumping in here. <laughs> not worried about you know, Trubisky and you know, not being able to give him the ball? I mean, Allen Robinson finished top 10 last year at Mitchell Trubisky, so I can't see it get too much worse. And I think Foles will eventually be the starter there. Who, who are some of the running back sleepers? You know, maybe like guys you can, you know, kind of get at a good value. Yeah, so I wasn't sure how deep you want it to go, but I got some guys that are like pretty like you could probably get for one of your last picks. Boston Scott, he's probably my favorite Philadelphia Eagles running back. If you uh, they have Miles Sanders, obviously he got banged up at camp, but they're gonna it's Doug Peterson. He's gonna use a committee. Even when Miles Sanders was healthy at the end of the year last year, Boston Scott was getting 14 touches a game. He's a value. And he, there's, they have no one else there. They still haven't added the veteran running back. So I want Boston Scott probably at my last pick, especially if it's PPR in every draft. And then Jordan Howard and Matt Burita. Uh, I think they'll both be good. Jordan Howard will be the guy on early downs for the Dolphins, and then Burita will be third down guy. They're both dirt cheap in drafts. And they're like Jordan Howard always outperforms his draft position every year, and no one ever wants him. And then Daryl Henderson for the Rams. He, um, everyone's on Cam Akers that they drafted. Daryl Henderson was a high pick last year, and everyone wanted Daryl Henderson last year when they still had Todd Gurley. Todd Gurley's gone. Now no one wants Henderson. Those are some of my favorites. But in terms of if I can pick one Dolphins running back, you know, who would it be? Do you like 
Brita more, or do you like Howard more? Obviously, Brita is going much later than than Howard in those drafts. I think I think I like Howard more, just because I know he's going to get a bunch of carries. But thing about Howard, he's not going to catch the ball. And they've talked about lining Breed up at wide receiver because if you know they've had so many opt outs at wide receiver, they don't have much at wide receiver, so he could end up being their slot guy. Breida can. So, so kind of back to strategy in a standard league. Um, do you wait for a quarterback in the later rounds? I mean, what's your philosophy on on drafting quarterbacks? Yeah, in a in a one quarterback league, I don't want to touch a quarterback until round nine, probably. Okay. If just. Yeah, or I'll even wait even later. But yeah, I'm not gonna touch. I'm not gonna draft a quarterback until at least round nine. Sometimes round, round ten, round eleven. There's just so many. On a in a twelve team league, start one quarterback. You could stream quarterbacks weekly. So I wouldn't do that. So let's continue to talk about quarterbacks. Do you think guys like uh, Garoppolo, Goff, and Rivers are going lower than they should? Um, not Garoppolo and Rivers. I think they're about where they should because Garoppolo, his upside just isn't there. And if you want a late-round quarterback, you should really be looking for upside, the guy that can be the Lamar Jackson of last year that's dirt cheap in drafts and he could be that top-five quarterback. Garoppolo just can't. Just doesn't. They're not going to throw enough. All of his weapons went down. So I'm not interested in him. Same thing with Rivers. I mean, he looked so bad last season. Now he's on the Colts. But Goff, I'm interested in Goff. I like Goff, and I think he could be a great value late. He could be a top-ten quarterback because they're going to throw so much. All right, there's there's been a lot of hoopla over the second-year quarterbacks. Uh, Kyler Murray got DeAndre Hopkins in a trade, and obviously he's going to have more weapons. And Daniel Jones got a new head coach, and you know the, the Giants are also kind of an interesting team with, with Jason Garrett coming over as the offensive coordinator. Who would you take out of those two second-year quarterbacks? Would you take Kyler Murray, who's going a lot earlier, uh, or would you take Daniel Jones late? Well, I think Kyler Murray will finish higher, and he'll be he'll be better. But I'll take Daniel Jones because he's way he goes way later, and you could pick him at the end of your drafts. For Kyler Murray, I mean, he's like a fifth-round pick right now in a one-quarterback league, going as a top-five quarterback. You're drafting him at his ceiling. If he's not top-five, you just wasted a fifth-round pick where you can get DJ Chark instead when you only need one quarterback. I'd rather just wait, take Daniel Jones last, who has the upside, who could be a top-five quarterback. And if he's not, if Daniel Jones isn't, you can just drop Daniel Jones and pick someone else up from the waiver wire and stream quarterback. With Kyler Murray, you're paying you're paying his absolute premium right now. I, he's, I would take Daniel Jones over him. Well, not over him, but I would rather wait for Daniel Jones. I actually agree with that strategy, but it's, uh, you know, Spoken like a true Giants fan right there, taking Daniel Jones over <laughs> Kyler Murray. But I do agree with it. I think taking Daniel Jones maybe like with the second to last pick or even last pick, uh, the fantasy draft, I think that's it's really good value. He just needs to cut down on those turnovers, especially those fumbles. But I think he's going to be able to put up some good numbers. And he runs, and you want a quarterback that runs. And he, he shows that he could, he run, he needs to run more, but he ran last year. Had like 230 yards. So if you can get a quarterback that has rushing upside, that's like the most important thing in a quarterback for fantasy. What's a, what's a number one, what's a number one sleeper for quarterbacks? I mean, who's, who's kind of your guy you zone in on? Well, the guy that I want for every, like every draft I try to get is Josh Allen. 
Uh, he's starting to, he's kind of, he's, I say he's probably still a sleeper. He goes, you can still get him in the ninth round. He's starting to jump a little bit, but he's my favorite because he runs. It's not going to always be pretty. It's kind of like Jameis Winston. It's not going to be pretty if you watch him, but at the end of the day, he's going to get you 20 fantasy points. I like Josh Allen. And then just to go a little deeper, Gardner Minshew. Interesting. Gardner Minshew isn't even being drafted in like standard leagues, right? Yeah. You because, can you I mean, can get him after draft because Jacksonville. I mean, you you don't know what you're gonna get there with with some of those guys that they have. Interesting. That's that's interesting. That's Ed Josh Allen talk. I, that's, I thought we <laughs> yeah, were we, gonna we, stay we, away. We, from we have him. quite a lot to say about Josh Allen on this show. <laughs> but he is. I mean, he does put up fantasy numbers. I mean, in terms of you know, like throwing and running, he's got. Stefan Diggs this year. Do you actually believe that Allen can can take a step up this year? I actually do. I mean, I don't think – I'm not saying he's a good NFL quarterback, obviously, but he's really good in fantasy, and I think he could. I mean, he was at like – he did step up last year at the completion percentage. They had the most drops in the league too. They had Diggs. I think he can get better as a quarterback. I think he could get his completion percentage up there. And, I mean, he didn't turn the ball over as much last year. I mean, he's only going into year three. I think he, he has a lot of improvement. Or he could not improve, and he could be Mitchell Trubisky. And <laughs> next year he's out of the league. And I guess we're all in trouble if we take Josh Allen in the ninth round. But it's not too bad. At least he's not going in the, in the first three or four rounds out there. So going on to the receiver position, uh, who are some sleepers at wide receiver for you? Well, there's like there's so many wide receivers this year. It's just so deep. You can like some of my favorites are Jamison Crowder for the Jets, especially if you're in PPR. I mean, he's gonna see probably 150 targets this year. Robbie Anderson's gone. Their defense is terrible. They obviously lost Jamal Adams, so they're gonna have to throw a lot. All they have is Brashad Perryman, who actually is another decent sleeper too, and Chris Herndon at tight end. So I like Jamison Crowder a lot. Michael Gallup, I'd rather have him. Rather draft him than spend early on Amari Cooper. They basically put up the same production last year, and Michael Gallup missed two games. Uh, Steven Sims Jr., that's a really deep sleeper. He's a Washington football team <laughs> slot receiver. He came on early, He came on the end of the season last year. They were saying they're going to use him all over the place. All they have is Terry McLaurin there. So I like him at the end of drafts, or even if you don't want to draft him, you keep eye on him for the waiver wire. And then a couple more, Marvin Jones from the Lions. He's a guy that always ends up being a value. I like him. And then Darius Slayton, kind of a thorough giant in there. I'm curious about rookie wide receivers. Obviously, it was uh, it was one of the better wide receiver drafts in, in 2020. I'm curious where you stand on Jerry Judy, CeeDee Lamb. And uh, let's, let's throw in Jalen Rager as well uh, of the Philadelphia Eagles. Where do you stand on those three guys? Who would you like to uh, get on your team late? Obviously, all those guys are either going late in the, in the fantasy drafts or they're going undrafted. Yeah, so out of the three guys you named, I'll take Jalen Rager because he has a chance to be the number one there. But why, rookie wide receivers already start. It takes them a while to start. Uh, really cooking and doing good. And now you know how we've had, like, this offseason has never happened before. They haven't had time with the quarterback. So they might start a little later than normal. So I'm not really interested in drafting C.D. Lamb because he's behind Cooper and Gallup. And uh, Jerry Judy is with Cortland Sutton, who I, I love in the fifth round, uh, then Noah Fant and others. So I don't want to draft either of them, but 
Jalen Rigar, I, I will draft him late. He would be the one I want out of the three, but I don't know if I'd expect huge numbers from him. Uh, we're a lot of people are watching Hard Knocks right now, and the Los Angeles Rams are being featured out there. I'm curious. The the two guys are fairly similar. I'm curious where you stand on which guy you like better. Uh, do you like Robert Woods or Cooper Cup? Yeah, I like Robert Woods because if you notice at the end of the year last year, McVay kind of went to uh, he went to 12 personnel, which means two tight ends on the field. He was running the more the more tight ends uh, with Tyler Higby, who who went went really good at the end, which moved that would that kicks Cooper Cup to the outside instead of the slot, and he just can't separate as well outside and Robert Woods I'd rather have him because if you look at the end of the year last year I don't have the numbers in front of me but Cooper Cup I mean you couldn't even start him in your lineup so if he has to stay on the outside I'd rather have Woods and plus I mean Woods just has a floor that not a lot of receivers have I mean in the last um, two seasons only six receivers had 130 plus targets over the last two years Michael Thomas Julio De- uh, DeAndre Hopkins Keenan Allen Jarvis Landry and Robert Woods so, I mean, you're not going to get that that much targets anywhere else, and he's going to be the main slot guy. Probably going to He's not going to score, obviously, like you said, as many touchdowns, but he'll probably catch 100 balls for 1,300 yards and eight touchdowns. And yeah, I'd that's, rather that's have pretty him. good for, for his value and, and where he's going out there. Uh, I'm curious, where do you stand on tight ends? Um, and I'm not talking about guys like uh, Travis Kelsey and George Kittle, those guys – deserve to go you know in the second third round um they you know they're great fantasy contributors and great football players but where do you stand on tight ends just going too early in my opinion in fantasy drafts in general i'm talking about guys like darren waller gronkowski austin hooper evan ingram hunter henry where do you stand on that yeah so like you said there's the big three really in at tight end with kelsey kittle and andrews after that, I mean, these guys, like, they're pretty close to similar. So I don't want to, like, uh, spend early on Waller. Waller was the only guy in Oakland last year. Uh, that's why he got so many targets. I'm kind of scared that he won't do that again. And then Gronk, I'm completely out on Gronk. So I'd rather just wait and just grab guys later. Like, And I could stream if I need to. I'd rather get a guy like Chris Herndon who goes super late, like a TJ Hawkinson, who goes super late, Noah Fant, one of those guys, instead of spending in like a six-round pick on Evan Ingram, who will pay play four games for you, and that's it. You know, Noah Fant came around last year as a rookie, especially later on in the year. He's one of my favorite tight ends this year in fantasy, especially with him going really, really late. You think he's going to get lost in the shuffle a little bit at Denver, just because... You mentioned they have Cortland Sutton, they have, you know, K.J. Hamler, they have Jerry Judy. Uh, is he still going to get targets, especially in the red zone? Yeah, so I actually did an article at the beginning of the offseason on Noah Fant. He was one of my favorite tight ends. That was before the draft with Jerry Judy and K.J. Hamler. So I think volume is going to be a little rough, but he's a tight end, and he doesn't need volume like that. I think he'll still be used. Plus, he has Pat Shermer. And Pat Shermer, I mean, if you look at what he's done with tight ends over whether it's Evan Ingram, Kyle Rudolph, or his time way back in Philly, I think that they're going to use him, and they're going to use him kind of like an Evan Ingram where he lines up in the slot because he's a mismatch. So I do like Noah Fant. 
I'd be a little this year. I'd be a little like I don't know how much you'll be able to start him weekly, but I think he'll have like some huge games, and I think eventually, then year three next year is when I think you'll be able to really be able to use him. But you're not gonna draft him as your starter, right? I mean, he's gonna come in as your number two tight end, right? Yeah, it it depends. I usually don't like to draft two tight ends in a one tight end league. So if you want to use your like even your last pick on Noah Fant, and then if not, you can just pick up streamers like, like because after like the top four tight ends, tight end five through twelve, it basically just catch a touchdown and you're a top ten tight end. So I don't mind if you if you just stack everywhere else and then draft Noah Fant, you'll be able to pick a tight end off of waivers that you can use. That's interesting. I usually try to pick up two tight ends. I usually try to pick up a tight end like later on in the draft to be my number two guy. So you say that's bad strategy. I mean, you should just go with one tight end during your during your lead. I don't think it's bad strategy. Like um, I'll do it sometimes. Like last year, I remember in one of my leagues, I drafted Evan Ingram. <laughs> I bought into the hype. He was good, and then he got hurt. But in my last pick, I took Mark Andrews. And that worked out. So if you go find like a guy like Noah Fant who has a chance to be the breakout like Mark Andrews of last year, then I think it's worth uh, having two tight ends on your roster, at least for a week or two, see what happens with them. All right. So uh, let's just start our last question. Um, I think this is kind of a big one. What is, who is a rookie that you, we should think about drafting? Just like one rookie you really like from this draft. I know I know you, you have a pretty good knowledge of this draft too. Yeah, well – I would say Clyde Edwards Hilaire, but he's like a first round pick right now. Uh-huh. So I decided, so I w- obviously want to draft him if you could, but he's going to, he's really early. So I said DeAndre Swift. You can get him, I think he's a value right now. You can get him later, and all they have is mm-hmm. Carryon Johnson in front of him. And Carryon mm-hmm. Johnson hasn't stayed healthy in two years. So I think DeAndre Swift could be more like a Alvin Kamara's rookie season where it mm-hmm. took him a while, and then eventually he was a league winner. So I'd, I would take DeAndre Swift, especially where he's going right now. I think he's like a seventh-round pick. All okay. right, Andy. Uh, thank you for the knowledge. Uh, Ed and I are really appreciate it. I mean, you gave us some, some good strategy. We've got a fantasy draft coming up in a couple of weeks, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. I'm sure Ed was listening uh, very carefully. <laughs> <laughs> well, I need to this year. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us, and uh, good luck the rest of the way. And thank you for giving us some knowledge about fantasy football. Yeah, thanks. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Bavada takes sports betters closer to the action. It's fun, it's safe, and it's fast. It's sports betting made easy. We'd like to welcome Silas Kelly, linebacker from Coastal Carolina. Silas, uh, how are you today? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? Obviously, you uh, you told us off the air that you guys are in, in full pads right now the, the past three days. Uh, tell us about fall camp, just in general, what it's been like so far. Fall camp's definitely been different than, uh, than any other year that I've been in college playing football. You know, obviously, training this summer was a lot tougher than usual. Um, you know, a lot of guys would have to quarantine if they, if they left the area or if they end up getting sick. Um, so we didn't have uh, a full summer like we usually do, but that's kind of what everybody's going through right now. So um, first week or so was kind of just getting back into uh, the swing of things, football, football-wise, and uh, it wasn't as it wasn't as upbeat and 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 fast as 
fall camp usually is. Um, we had to kind of take a couple of days to get our legs back under us and um, kind of feel things out. But we're, we're back into the swing of things right now, full speed. Looking at the team this year at Coastal Carolina, you guys have a lot of experience, especially in the front seven. Uh, give us a, a quick scouting report on your defensive unit. Yeah, uh, we definitely have a lot of experienced guys, like you said, up in the front seven. Um, you know, CJ, Teron, Jeff, um, Gerard Clark is probably the most inexperienced one. But we've got guys that have been here for four years um, and have learned the defense and have, have experience playing. Obviously, me and Teddy in the linebacking group been here. We're both seniors. Uh, I actually have an extra year of eligibility because um, of my medical last year. But I've, we've both been here for, for our whole career. And, uh, you know, we have a lot of experience, and that, that kind of helps it go a lot smoother uh, on defense because you got the guys up front who are, who are wreaking havoc on, in uh, pass rush and in, in, in the run game, and that makes mine and Teddy's job a lot easier. Um, so having those guys up there really helps us out. And uh, us uh, as a linebacking group, me and Teddy being uh, as experienced as we are, kind of frees those guys up to, to really make plays and know that we got their back um, no matter what they do. So it, the front seven is really solid, and, and the, uh, the de- defensive backs are coming along really well too. Last year you had a chance to play in only two games um, against Eastern Michigan and Kansas. Uh, the team had a yeah. lot of close losses last season. Uh, what do you guys need to do this year in order to, to get over the hump and, and win some of those close games? You know, Alex, it, it really boils down to, to details. And I say details, not just on the field, details in, in everything that we do. And that's something that we place a big emphasis on and that we have been for the past two years. And um, it, takes, it takes a long time to get guys uh, to do – every little thing right, cleaning up the locker room, you know, wearing the right stuff to work out, wearing the, the right stuff to practice, um, just little things that, that if, you can, if you can control them, they give you freedom to uh, play your best. There's a guy who says discipline equals freedom, um, and that's kind of, that's kind of how we, we, uh, we view it um, because if you, can, if you can nail down the details, it really frees you up to really play football. Um, but if you don't have the details down, then – you know, you're, you're going to be out of gap or you're going to be in the wrong coverage when everybody else is playing something and it's going to lead to a defensive bust or a touchdown for the offense. So that's the little things like that is what makes the biggest difference. You obviously had a ACL and uh, I think it was like MCL tear or something last year. Um, can you tell us about your injury and uh, how COVID has kind of affected your recovery? Yeah, like you said last year, um, first game of the season, I broke my hand and continued to play with it and then second game of the season I tore my ACL uh in my meniscus so that was a that was a huge shot obviously season-ending injury had surgery and was recovering doing really well in rehab uh I had a setback and I had to have a, a second surgery dealing with my meniscus uh, but that it didn't set me back too much maybe like a week or two um that set me back but that all happened right around uh, like February and I, I had been running and I had been you know working back into into running progressions and cutting and things like that. Um, and then COVID hit and I was locked in my house for three, four months with no um, access to the training room or strength coaches or physical therapists or anything. And that was really tough. Um, just going through, you know, the cutting progressions. I didn't have a knee brace um, yet because I hadn't gotten it 
before COVID hit and I, I wasn't able to get it after that. Um, so there was just a lot of adversity and a lot of things that I kind of had to figure out on my own. Uh, luckily though, my, uh, my roommate's dad had a bunch of weights at home and he drove them up early on in during the, the quarantine. So we ended up actually with a squat rack and a, a bench set up right in our living room. So we were able to, to hit squat, hit bench, work out every day from our house, which really was a, a saving grace throughout the whole process. What are your strengths? My strengths, um, I'm, I'm a very smart player. I can notice little little intricacies of an offense and, and kind of point out details that, that will help me know and help my defense know what to expect and what's coming. You know, that comes with experience. That comes with film. Uh, so I'm, I'm a very smart player, but I'm also a very physical player, and I have uh, a huge frame um, to be able to execute my responsibilities and that's that's kind of what I would say. I'm I'm a I'm a really smart guy, and uh, I can I can uh, lead the the defense from the linebacker position. Me and Teddy both lead the defense from that spot. What areas of your game are you trying to improve upon? So areas that I'm trying to improve upon are uh, just blitzing and recognizing blitz pickups and kind of anticipating that beforehand. You know, timing up a blitz and, and getting the cadence down for the offense is kind of something that you have to feel out and that's that's something that I've been studying on film and and trying to get a beat on for just so I can hit hit blitzes on the run and be more prepared for the ways that they're going to pick them up Silas are you a hundred percent right now yes sir absolutely I feel better than I did before I tore my ACL I think a lot of people um, are, are feeling healthier nowadays just because they didn't have to go through uh, spring practice yeah yeah and um you know I I actually through just training over the offseason ended up I'm stronger now than I was before I got hurt which is obviously a huge confidence boost you actually mentioned your uh, teammate a couple of times during this interview Teddy Gallagher the the middle linebacker for you guys tell me about your teammate just uh, tell me about the the type of person that he is and the type of player that he is man Teddy he's my one of my roommates and one of my best friends and you know me and him kind of have this chemistry between each other uh, when we're on the field and we kind of know what the other person is going to do and it, it helps us play off of each other. But, you know, Teddy is a, a natural-born linebacker. He's got crazy instincts um, and kind of can just, just – he kind of knows what's, what's going to happen before it happens sometimes. Um, and it's really impressive. And, and me and him feed off of each other. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it's awesome because – we trust each other 100% when we're on the field, and that allows us to come downhill fast and know that the other person is going to be where they need to be during the game. Um, so he's a real uh, defensive leader, defensive captain, and he's got more heart than pretty much anybody I know. Tell us uh, your background story a little bit. Like coming out of high school, who showed interest in you, and how'd you wind up at the Coastal Carolina? Kind of non traditional way to get here. I was. Um, in the summer of my junior year, I committed to the University of Maryland to play safety. Um, I am from Maryland, and I, I went to a camp there and have been talking to their defensive backs coach. I went to a camp there. I had a good day, and they offered me a scholarship there, and I uh, I committed there. One of the my teammates from high school committed there to play offensive tackle. And I was committed for about six months under Randy Etzel, um, and then they fired their they fired Edsel and brought in DJ Durkin and he kind of told me and a couple of the other guys on the defensive side that he was going, uh, going to go in a different direction is what he said. And that 
uh, we weren't players that fit into his scheme and that if we wanted to play football, we should go somewhere else. Um, so that was obviously a blow for me. It seemed like the worst thing that ever happened to me. And I was just crushed. You know, Maryland's my dream school growing up in Maryland. Um, everybody cheered for the Terps. My sister went there. So that, that sucked. But I ended up get, getting like, after I decommitted in like December of my senior year, I gained interest from a bunch of FCS schools, a um, couple of FBS, group of five schools, and Coastal Carolina offered me. And I, I came on a visit in early January and I got here. And it was nothing like what I expected for a college football program. Like it seemed like the, the coaches and just the, the football program in general had the player's best interest in mind. And it, it felt like a family. It felt kind of like home. And, you know, I had other visits scheduled for the rest of January uh, to Temple and a couple other schools. And I told my dad after the visit, I said, I think I want to commit to Coastal Carolina. You know, it's, it's, I don't know how any other school can top what they, what they bring. So ended up at Coastal Carolina, been a four-year starter, um, and it ended up being the best thing that ever happened to me, uh, getting my scholarship to Maryland taken away. How does a guy from Maryland make that choice to, to go down south? I mean, I'm sure you've never even been down there um, in, in South Carolina. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's tough. My, like for my senior year, I was dead set on going to Maryland, and I, I knew who I was going to live with at Maryland. My parents had bought, like my Christmas that year was going to be all Maryland-themed and stuff. And then right before Christmas, they pulled the plug on me. So it, it, it was tough, and it was a, a huge culture shock, honestly, coming down here. Um, I didn't know anybody down here. And I didn't like I didn't have anybody that I knew from my high school coming here. I was the only one from my high school, and kind of just had to to figure it out on my own and and you know make friends. And luckily, I've been able to make the best friends in my entire life. And uh, I know these guys will be with me for the rest of my life, which is awesome. But you know, it's something that I just had to go through, and, and it really helped me grow up um, and mature. And I'm I'm so thankful that I ended up here. What's the highlight of your career up to this point? Maybe it's a team win, maybe it's a play, maybe it's a game. What stands out to you from your time at Coastal? You know, what what stands out really is the relationships that I have with my teammates. Um, you know, I said that it felt like home when I was here on my visit, and every single guy on my team feels like family to me. I've been with my class, guys in my class, for four years now, and every one of them is going to be in my life for the rest of my life. And that's kind of the highlight for me. You know, I've had, I've made great plays. I've, I've played in huge stadiums and been recognized and all, things of that nature. But the, uh, the highlight of, of playing is my teammates and, and playing for my teammates, playing with my teammates and the relationships that we make on the field, off the field, um, just all around, just my teammates. Coastal Carolina's defense has a nickname, Black Swarm. Uh, where did that come from? I mean, where did the, the nickname come out of? Yeah, so at practice, the offense wears white jerseys. The defense wears black jerseys. And we want to be a, a black swarm. We want to be. We want to swarm for the ball. That's something we say every day. Um, we want 11 hats around the football on every single play that, you know, in, in a camera shot on TV at the end of the play, when running backs tackled or the receivers tackled, you should be able to see every single guy in our defense in that shot right around the ball. That's kind of our mentality. We want to swarm to the ball at every play because you never know what's going to happen. And, and 
being near the ball is always a good thing as a defensive player. So that's kind of where that came. What was it like to be elected team captain last year? It's a huge honor. You know, that's something that's voted on uh, completely by my teammates, knowing that they believed in me um, to lead them through the year and that they trusted me and, and, and looked up to me in that way. It was, it's something that, that can never be taken away and something that, that um, means a lot to me, something I took very seriously. Um, so it, that, that, that's a huge, huge and very important deal for me and, and pretty much any football player. And as a captain, what was your leadership style like in the locker room? I'm, I'm a big lead-by-example guy. Aside from that, I'm also, I'm also pretty vocal in the locker room. You know, not not everyday stuff like I'll harp on you and, and, and get on my guys and, and try to get them ready to go. Because, you know, I, I've been around for a while and I know what it what it takes to win and I know what it takes not to win, you know. So trying to get my guys to do the right thing, just um, staying on them and encouraging them and, and making them believe in themselves is, is pretty much my biggest job. And getting them to believe in themselves and to believe in the team as a unit, um, that's really what it means to be a leader. And that was that was kind of how I approached it. And you know, obviously, getting hurt and not being able to play in games um, kind of takes a takes a hit to my ability to you know lead by example because I'm not on the field and I'm not uh, as involved as I as I was before. So that that was tough to deal with. But I just I tried my best to to help stay with my guys and lead them from the sidelines last year. So you're a guy who's had a lot of success off the field. And, you know, you were in the team leadership council. You were named to the dean's list. Can you talk about that? Like I said before, I, I'm, I'm a very smart guy, and that's one of my, my big attributes as a linebacker. You have to be smart, and you have to um, be able to understand the game. Um, and my coaches trusted me to be able to learn that stuff because, you know, I, I, I have 4.0 GPAs. And, you know, I, I have a 3.9 right now as a senior, and kind of little off-the-field stuff like that, it bleeds over into the field. So you take care of business off the field. The trusters will be able to trust you more and, and, and believe that you'll be able to handle, you know, knowing a full defense and, and being able to make checks on the fly um, and stuff like that. And, and I'm a, I'm a high-character guy, very smart. So that's, that's kind of the success I've had off the field and how it kind of translates onto the field. Now, we're curious, who do you like to watch on, on Sundays? Which NFL linebackers? And who do you model your game after? Well, you know I, I always liked Luke Keekley and a lot of guys say Luke Keekley. He's just a, a student of the game, and, and as a linebacker, an inside linebacker, that's really what you have to be. You have to make every check. You have to know what the secondary is doing. You have to know what the D line is doing. You have to know what the offense is doing. Um, it's it's really all encompassing as a, as a linebacker. So Luke Keekley was a guy who was really able to dissect offenses and and play fast and play downhill and make plays. Another guy that that I probably Mirror Moore is, is Leighton Vander Esch, kind of guy with a similar frame as me. And um, watching him play kind of reminds me of myself. And that's something that I, I, I want to get to the point where he's playing and where he's playing at. Um, so I, I watch a lot of him. And ultimately, what's the key to playing linebacker? Well, that's a tough question. There's, there's a lot of keys. You know, eye discipline is huge. You have to be smart. You have to be confident. Um, you have to be mean, man. You have to be. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta eat with your hands, as they say. You don't want a linebacker that eats with a fork and knife. You want a linebacker that eats with their hands. Um, so you gotta, you gotta be able to get down in there and, and take an offensive lineman on head on, and still be able to know the whole defense and um, 
be be really smart and and quick with all your checks and so there's really no one key it's it's more of a mentality than it is a position well silas that's all the questions i have for you um i appreciate you being on the show and uh, good luck this year yeah absolutely i appreciate you guys we would like to thank andy buckler and silas kelly for being on the show this week and we'll be back next week